of Serious Epidemiology. I am Haley Bannock from the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, and I'm joined again by my friend and co-host Matt Fox from Boston University. Hi, Matt. Long time no speak. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. It's good to see you. It's been it's been quite a long time. So so the the listeners understand. We are recording this uh, out of sequence because we realized there were a few episodes that we had planned to record that we never did. And so we are recording these, even though you'll hear episodes after this, that were very, very clearly recorded before this one. Yes. So today we are talking about chapter eight in uh, the fourth edition of Modern Epidemiology. All of our season, our second season has been dedicated to going through this study so fascinating and all the various nuances. So the the chapter goes through, you know, all the different aspects of case control studies. Uh, First, it talks about sort of the different types of case control studies, how you might want to think about selecting your participants, the cases, the the controls, what you want those folks to represent if they're from a specific study base or a specific source population. Then it talks about, you know, some of the nuances about how you select your controls and where might you select controls and different aspects about bias in, in case control studies. So I think it does a really nice job about talking through this. And one of the things I appreciate in particular about this chapter is the authors are very clear that case control studies have received this bad rap. Estimates from a case control study can be very valid in the same way that estimates from a cohort study can be valid. On the other hand, there can be issues related to bias that are affecting estimates from a case control study, just like there can be estimates that are biased from a cohort study. So I think that the chapter takes this perspective that it is possible to obtain true estimates of an effect. So that's the the kind of broad overview of the chapter. So Matt, what are your high level thoughts on this one? Yeah, well, I'm glad you started off with with the point you just made, because I, I find there's this really interesting dynamic, and it's not just true of case control studies versus cohort studies or randomized trials. It's, it's true of a lot of things in epidemiology, which is that that there are these perfectly valid ways of doing things, if done correctly, but those ways come with you know, more more risk of bias. And that then becomes interpreted as there is something inherently wrong with the method. And so I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think the case control study has been a bit maligned in the sense that, you know, it's it's seen as an inherently inferior design to say a cohort study, or certainly it's seen as inferior to randomized trials, when in fact, in theory, it isn't. That said, I also think that there is also a, a a certain segment of the epi methods community that that then sees the problem in pushing this idea that the the design is inherently inferior and push back in a way that almost gives the impression that there isn't you know more risk that often comes with doing a case control study because identifying the controls is often difficult now if you're doing a nested case control study, for example, then I would I would agree with the statement. I mean, I think you know that you've got a well defined study base. Your sampling frame is is very well defined for selecting your controls. You can do that really really efficiently, and and it's it's a fantastic design. When you're not doing that design, I, I do think there is a, a, you know a greater chance of risk, and so I don't think it's all that strange that people people's uh, threshold for, you know, I, I, being concerned about bias is, is just a little bit higher. And I, I, I don't, I don't think that's unreasonable either. So it's sort of, I, I, 
feel like it, we need to be somewhere in between. Respecting the case control study is a really important advance in the field that can yield perfectly valid results, but also recognizing that in some some situations, many situations, I would say, it, it comes with more risk for bias. So there are three different types of case control studies that uh, people talk about, sort of subtypes of case control studies. So the first would be a cumulative or traditional case control study where you have individuals in some population or uh, source population that you're following through time. At the end of, of some time period, you have a group that are cases, you have a group that are controls who have not developed the outcome of interest, and you ask both of those groups about their exposure history. Um, you know, were you exposed or not exposed to whatever you are interested in studying? That's the first type. And the estimates that you get from that type of study are, are just odds ratios. The next type of case control study, or I should say the next two types of case control studies, both require an existing cohort. So they're both different types of nested case control studies. So the first type of nested case control study is called a case cohort study. And for this type of, of case control study, what you're doing is you're sampling a group of control subjects from those who are available in the cohort at baseline or study enrollment. Those is, that is your control group. And then as you're following the cohort through time, anyone that becomes a case in that time period is considered a case for your case control study from within this cohort. So your control group is a group that you've pre-selected or selected from those who are in the cohort at baseline. Cases are those who occur as the study is moving forward. The estimates that you get from a case cohort study are approximations of a risk ratio. Uh, the odds ratio that you, you compute or calculate are, are approximations of a risk ratio. The third type of case control study also must be nested within an existing cohort. And this is called an incidence density sampling case control study. Is that what it's called, incidence? I always get stuck on the terminology for this third one. Yeah, or, or, or I think people sort of think about the sampling method, which is referred to often as risk set sampling. Okay, so so risk or risk set sampling. Um, so in this type of case control study, what you are doing is at every time point that a case occurs, you choose a control that is in the study in the risk set that gave rise to the case. So uh, they're sort of matched the cases and controls. When a case occurs, you select a control from those who are alive and in the cohort at that time. And also, ahead. also called density sampling. I realized. I, I, yes. Wristed sampling or density sampling. Yep. Yeah. So um, part of the problem. Too many names for the same concept. Too but many what's, names. What's important about this study design is that every time a case occurs, you are selecting a control one or more controls, I should say, from the risk set at the time the case occurred. And so the estimates that you are getting from this type of case control study are estimates or approximations of an incidence rate ratio. So you can get an odds ratio from the original or traditional type of case control study. You can get a risk ratio approximation from a case cohort study, and you can get an incidence rate ratio from the uh, whatever we're calling this incidence density uh, sampling case control study. Anything to add on, on those three types of study design? Well, yeah, I, I suppose I would I would quibble a little bit with um, the distinction you made in the beginning. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'm right on this, but it's it's still the way I think of it. You, you said, I, I think, that um, the 
you described the first design, what you refer to as the traditional design. And then you said, and then the second two require a cohort. And I would say they all require a cohort, that even the traditional design requires a cohort. It's just that there is this underlying cohort and the decision has been made, whether it's for convenience or it's, you know, for some reason, someone's decided that the odds ratio is really what we want to know about. Uh, the decision has been made to sample uh, the controls from those who were not cases. In other words, those who survived, you know, survivor sampling. So those who did not become a case by the end of follow-up. But there's still a, an underlying cohort underneath that that you are sampling from. And, and if that cohort has not been well-defined, then it isn't clear that the odds ratio that we're estimating really estimates any true odds ratio, any causal odds ratio that we might be interested in. Yeah, I'm smiling because it's clear that we still have not settled the issue from several episodes ago about populations versus cohorts. Because when I say the second two types of set of case control studies, the uh, case cohort and the incidence density sampling design require a an existing cohort, I mean an enumerated list of individuals from which you can either select your, your control group at baseline in case cohort, or you can select your controls when the case occurs. You need to know who's in the risk set in order to select the controls when the case occurs. So, so for those, I view it as something, that's why I call them nested, right? Because you have a, a large cohort study that's ongoing. And, you know, it's easier to do these types. I don't even think it's possible necessarily to do these types of studies if you just, you know, are in a community type of setting. On the other hand, if today I got ethics approval and wanted to do a cumulative case control design, I could do that right now without having an existing cohort from which to draw those individuals. I could go to an electronic health record. I guess that's enumerated. So now I'm getting confused that, to myself. That, that, that's, where, that's where I'm going with this. I mean, I, there is still an underlying cohort that if we don't bother to go through the process of enumerating it in some way, or at least defining it, um, such that our our control population represents a random sample of the, of the, the underlying population, then it's not clear exactly to me what we're measuring. I, we, I don't know that we've, we've really made the distinction. So when we talked about these different designs, I mean, I think one of the key distinctions is in the, in the survivor sampling, the only people eligible to be ca uh, controls are those people who are not cases. In the other two designs, um, those people who are cases are also eligible to be chosen as controls. Um, if I, if I think about what you said about the survivor sampling or the traditional case control study where we're sampling only from the non-cases, I can still do that in a, in a nested cohort where the cohort is enumerated. So, I mean, that design could also be done in a, in oh, a, yeah. a, a cohort course. study. And I, I also think that the other two approaches can sometimes be done in cases where you, as you say, you have like a, a registry of, of cases, as long as we can figure out what the underlying population is and we have some way of, of identifying who is you know, in the, the population that we would sample from. Now I'm not I'm but I'm not disagreeing with you though that in practice probably that isn't what happens that that in practice the traditional design as you called it is most often done in cases where the underlying cohort is not well enumerated but 
ideally it should be, right? Oh, yeah. I think it, obviously, I think it should be. And I think it, as you're raising, it has very important implications for the interpretation of the study results that you are estimating. You're going to get a number and, and who does that number apply to and how, how can I, you know, understand information that came from this study. I think that there is a difference, though, because you don't have to have that kind of design. Now, as you were talking, I did come up with a, an example where it might not apply. So let's say I want to do a case control study, and I'm looking for folks that have recently had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And what I might do to recruit study subjects for this is uh, go old school, print off posters with those little tabs that you can pull off at the bottom and post those up at a community center, at a rehab, on the light posts in my neighborhood and say, call me if you've had a recent heart attack. Those could be cases and I could select controls using any one of the control selection strategies that they talk about, neighborhood controls, friend controls. I could do a clinic-based control. Those would all be controls because they haven't had a recent heart attack. Therefore, they're not cases. And I could use the information I've gathered. I could ask them about you know, smoking or, or whatever diet I'm interested in as my exposure. And I could do a case control study with information that I've gathered on these cases and controls and their exposure history. When you say they're part of an existing cohort, again, I associate this idea of a cohort with a study cohort or a group of individuals. These folks may be part of a common population, as in the neighborhood that I'm living in, but are they part of a cohort? I, I don't want to get into that that question again, but I think that this is a that is a valid way of doing a case control study, isn't it? I, I'm not I'm not I don't think I can answer that question unless I know that the people that you're choosing as controls are a reasonable representation of the exposure distribution in the study base, in the in the population that gave rise to those cases. And so, you know, when we talk about the nested designs, as you refer to them, those we know what the study base is. So it's easy to say I can sample in a way that I know that my controls are a reasonable representation of the exposure distribution in the base. In the in the in the case where I I don't do that, where I just, you know, sort of recruit people to be my controls with no understanding of, of whether or not they truly represent that underlying population. They, they can be a, a valid control population if they do their, you know, their, their job of, of standing in for the exposure distribution in the base. But how, how do we, how do we know if that's true? Right. And now, that's I guess, where I think it becomes. I guess know, that's a, a very common criticism of the, the cumulative case control study. There's no re it, it as far as I can see, there's no reason why I can't do one of the other sampling methods in the what you're calling traditional approach, right? I could I could recruit recruit people to be my cases, and then I re- could also recruit uh, another group of people to be my controls that also, you know, potentially could include people who became cases, right? So I don't think the sampling approach is specific to the to the you know, whether the I found the cases first approach or what you sort of are talking about as the traditional I can do the survivor sampling in a in a well-defined cohort or I can do the you know the yeah. the yeah. other approach in the not well-defined cohort ultimately whether or not I get a valid result depends on whether or not those controls do their job Yes, yes, of course. And so this idea that the controls need to represent the exposure distribution that 
is the same as the as the population that gave rise to the cases is really important. It really underlies all of the inferences and estimates that come from a case control study. And I'm curious about that, though, because I certainly I agree with that in general. But if I'm really interested in the odds ratio and not the risk ratio, then do they have to represent the exposure distribution in the base or do they only have to represent the exposure distribution in the the non-cases? I would I would think it's just the non-cases. I just think we're not we're not really interested in the odds ratio. We're interested in the the risk ratio or the the incidence rate ratio and therefore we sort of we we, we set that expectation because we're we're hoping that we're measuring the thing we care about, which is the risk ratio or maybe the rate ratio. It is, mo- I believe, as you said earlier, it is most important that the controls need to be drawn from the same source population that gave rise to the cases um, in order to represent the sort of background exposure risk that is occurring in the population. Is that right? I, again, I think that's true if, if, if we really want to approximate the risk ratio or the incidence rate ratio. I'm not sure it's true if we really care about the causal odds ratio, because then I think the the it's fine for the controls to represent the exposure distribution, not in the population that gave rise to the cases, but the population that gave rise to the non-cases, really. I need you to help me understand that better. <laughs> we make a, a big thing about this idea that the controls need to represent the exposure distribution in the base, because if the... If the outcome is common, then the exposure distribution in the non-cases will be different from the exposure distribution in the study base itself, the entire population that gave rise to the cases. And then you will get your odds ratio will be a biased approximation of the of the risk ratio, but it can be a it can be a perfectly valid estimate of the of the causal odds ratio if we cared about the causal odds ratio. I suspect we we don't, but it 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 absolutely can be. It's it's interesting to me that we make we do make a big deal out of it because we also tell students all the time that when do you do a case control study? You do it when the outcome is rare and therefore, you know, it's it would take too long to to enroll a, a cohort to be able to study this. So most of the time, you know, you're going to be doing this when the outcome is rare. Now, of course, that's not true in your nested case control study where you might be doing it for a common outcome, but you're doing it for efficiency reasons, but leave that aside. If you really cared about the odds ratio, then it's it seems to me it's perfectly valid for the control population to represent the exposure distribution in the non-cases, because that's what the odds ratio is. It's a comparison of probability of the event divided by the probability of not having the event in two groups. And the, the control exposure distribution amongst the non-cases will be a reasonable approximation of the of the exposure distribution that you would need to get a valid estimate of the odds ratio. Okay. So now I'm understanding and I see where my confusion was in part. It's you were using the words non-cases and controls. Mm. And what you're saying, if I can repeat it, is that the exposure distribution in the controls has to be representative of the exposure distribution in non-cases in the population. If we're interested in the causal odds ratio. Okay. Okay. So I was I was misinterpreting, misunderstanding. I thought you were using controls and non-cases as synonymous terms, which is not is not how you were intending it. So so right. now I see the distinction. So the other issue that um, you know is important to talk about 
when you're talking about control selection is the fact that control selection, uh, controls need to be selected independently of their exposure status. And if you select controls in a way that may be associated with their exposure status, it, this can also lead to a biased effect estimate. Probably the most famous example that comes to mind is, is the McMahon pancreatic cancer example, where they selected a control group uh, for their study that had an artificially low prevalence of exposure, and this created a bias in the, the odds ratio. So it's important to understand that the controls need to be selected in a way that does not cause wonky associations with the exposure. And you're using wonky as a, in the technical sense there? Yeah, the, the most technical sense. That was yeah, actually yeah. the formal explanation for what happened in the McMahon paper, wonky. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, it, there's a there's a, a really nice series that I that the Shalom Walkholder did in Yeah, agreed. Was it was it American Journal of Epi? I think so, yeah. That walks through the principles of of control sampling and case control studies that that lays this out really nicely. I haven't gone back to that one in a few years, but I, I it's a it's a must read. It is a must read. I think it's three papers. This yep. was Probably one of the most important paper set of papers for me to go through when I was studying for my comprehensive exams. I went through those papers inside and out. You know, they're they're so so helpful. So I would also agree. Okay, so I, this gets me to a question I, I really wanted to ask you, which is the case control study. In it, I mean, it has been, as you say, I mean, it's been this sort of debated and and poorly understood. And I, I find I, I still encounter lots of people who really, really react negatively to this idea that a, a, a case could also be a control. And it takes a while to, to sort of break through that because people are taught the, the idea that, it, that controls are non-cases and that you're comparing the exposure distributions in the cases and the non-cases. So my, my, my question about this, I mean, so it seems like there is this sort of history of epidemiology that comes into play here that if we as a field had understood what the case control design was from the beginning that a case control study is not a cohort study done backwards a case control study is a cohort study done efficiently that you know we 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 would have not been in this case where people inherently see case control study as as less valid than other designs they would have seen you know there are some risks involved depending on how it's done so my question is do you i mean was the case control study do you think inevitable in the field of, of epidemiology as, as a, as a central, I mean, when you think about teaching of, of, of study design in epidemiology, we teach students randomized trials, case control, uh, sorry, cohort studies and case control studies. That's like the, the three main designs. And then we talk about, you know, some other designs, obviously we talk about cross-sectional and, you know, case series, but we, we focus on those three main designs and we talk about some of the others, you know, it, it doesn't seem to me that it was inevitable that the case control study would be um, would become an essential part of a field, and I look around. I don't. I don't know that other fields use case control designs like we do. Why do you think that is? Is it just because we study rare outcomes, and so people were looking for a a method to to be able to do those efficiently? I think I think there's a couple things that have gone into it. So I think our connection with clinical medicine and medical records in particular has potentially influenced why this is such an integral part of our, our epi teaching and our epi designs, because the availability of medical records allows us to do a case control study today 
if you, you know, had an exposure or an outcome that you wanted to study. And, and I don't know of that many other fields where there's these types of records that we keep um, of an individual's history over, let's potentially say, the course of their whole lifetime. So I think that that's one thing. I think another also related to medical records, and I think one of the reasons why it is so important for us to continue to advance research on this study design is that it's becoming better and better and more and more possible for us to do well-conducted case control studies with the explosion of a number of medical records, databases, electronic health records, you know, these enormous sources of data that would allow you to do case control studies in a very efficient a very inexpensive way uh, that will give you effect estimates, meaningful effect estimates of rates and risks that we potentially might not be able to do, as you say, with rare outcomes. So I think that it's important. I think that's part of the history and also part of why we we need to continue to focus on this design. Okay, so that's that's good. That I I think you're probably right about that and sort of where it came from. And you're right. I mean, if I think about you know fields like like psychology, there's probably a lot of things that you'd be interested in that I can't go to a a record somewhere and find all the people with a you know a particular you know reaction to a you know particular phenomenon. So so you're probably that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. What you said at the end there was sort of that it's it's still a, a critical component of epidemiology. I, I wonder if you think it is as central to epidemiology as it as it once was. I mean in the era of big data, there is so much data available now. Obviously I, I'm not in any way suggesting that case control studies are going to go away, but that they are just not as prominent or Need, don't need to be used nearly as often as they used to because now there is so much existing you know, data that essentially is cohort data rather than the need for, for case control data. I think, you know, classic epi answer, I think it depends. But I think if you were to write a grant today to say, I would like to assemble a cohort of 75,000 people and follow them for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever the case may be, to assess their risk of whatever disease. So please give me money to do that. I think the chance of you getting that funded, even if you have the most compelling pilot data and biologic rationale to do this, would be very, very remote. I think if you went and wrote a grant that said there are these amazing detailed records and existing data sources or existing cohorts, I would like to have my money to measure this novel biomarker or, you know, do a a survey in the the participants that are living um, from this cohort is a very efficient design because we already have, they're already part of a cohort. I think that would have potentially greater chance of being funded. So I do think that I think that the era of these large cohort studies is no longer for better or for worse. And that's why I think we really need to focus methods on refining these case control designs. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. And I think that the, the case control design, you know, at this point is is really well positioned for for these nested case control study type approaches where you have a you have a cohort that you've identified whether you know something someone you're following or more likely it's from you know medical medical record type cohorts or insurance databases or whatever it is but you don't have all the information you would need you can identify the cases you've got a well 
established cohort that they come from, you can then find the cases and then you know, sample controls from a, a well-defined population and then go collect the additional information that you need. And you you, you then have a, a much stronger claim to valid results because you, you have the, the underlying cohort well-defined. And that's where I think, you know, to go back to your point from the beginning, that's where I think it really is important to there, you've got to, we've got to emphasize that case control studies that are, are nested in well-defined cohort studies are just as valid as cohort studies. In fact, they're a much more efficient way to do things, and and therefore we should be taking advantage of them. I do also want to I, I want to go back to just a point before, and I want to read something from the chapter itself because it it just sort of illuminates things. They say under this conceptualization, for any case control study, we can envision a corresponding cohort study. In both study designs, the cases would be the same, and so you know even in the sort of traditional design, we do have to still figure out what the underlying cohort would be if we want to be able to get valid results. I think it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about what is the randomized control trial that you would think of when you're emulating a trial for this cohort study. I don't see as much discussion about what does the cohort study look like that you would want to do from this this case control design that you're thinking of. So have you have you ever seen that talked about beyond what's in the textbook? Well, it's a, it's an interesting question. I I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone frame it like that. But I do think people definitely talk about in case control studies the idea of who is the who is the study base who is the of population course, yeah. that gave rise to the cases and i i do think that's sort of along the same lines but it's not exactly what you you're getting at yeah it's interesting i have another question for you so one term that i still to this day do not maybe it's not that i don't understand it i don't like it is the term pseudo frequencies and as i say this i want to pay tribute to Ali Metnin uh, who recently passed away and he was one of the i guess folks that taught me about this i didn't understand it then i still have a hard time wrapping my brain around it now. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on this concept of, can, of pseudo frequencies. Can you define pseudo frequencies? I can define it only because I have notes in front of me. <laughs> but really, I I just, I don't know. I struggle so much with this concept. So I guess the idea is that, and I'm not reading directly from my notes, by the way, I am trying to paraphrase as if I pretend like I understand what's going on. Rather than having the actual denominators, the actual number of individuals that you would have in a, quote, regular cohort study, in this concept of pseudo-frequencies is you're looking at the frequencies of exposed and unexposed controls as substitutes for the denominator that you would regularly have or you wish you had in a, a cohort study. And you look at the cross product or the, the product of these pseudo frequencies as a sort of stand in for what you would like to do if you had actual denominators. So correct me, please. No, I mean, that, no, that I've ever heard it referred to by that term. So I just wanted to make sure we were talking about the same thing. I, I this is terrible for, for a podcast, right? Because we don't have, I can't draw out, you know, a two by two table. But I, I would say I, when I teach the odds ratio in teaching about case control studies, people typically write an odds ratio as A times D, you know, the cross product ratio times yep. C times B. And that's a, a pretty meaningless, it, it's a correct, but meaningless, you know, formula. So it doesn't 
give anyone any indication of why, but it works and it's perfectly fine. But the other way you could do this is, so if you take a risk ratio, you know, that's typically A over N1 divided by B over N1, where A is your exposed cases and B is your unexposed cases and N1 and N0, your denominators. And everyone looks at that and they can easily say, okay, I know what that is. That's risk in group one divided by risk in group two. You can mathematically, algebraically rearrange that to be A over B divided by N1 over N0. Mm-hmm. I think I said that right. And it, mathematically, it's equivalent. And then it becomes the ratio of exposed to unexposed cases divided by the ratio of exposed to unexposed in the population. And if you look at it that way, then what is a case control study? It's a it's a study in which you measure the numerator, A over B, the number of exposed divided by the number of unexposed cases. And then you have this control population, which stands in for the ratio of exposed to unexposed in the base. And then it sort of intuitively, at least to me, it makes sense to think of, well, then what the job of the control population is, is to tell me about the ratio of exposed to unexposed in the base. And then it makes sense that I shouldn't be using the non-cases. I should be using everybody in the population, whether they were a case or non-case. So I, I, I do actually like it, assuming that we're actually talking about the exact same thing. Yeah, no, we are talking about that. And, and I, I I think I, I maybe it's because I still don't really get what the pseudo is in pseudo frequency. So it's just not a clear term to me. So I, when somebody says pseudo frequency, my mind like spins and I panic for a second. Like I, I am an epidemiologist, right? Like I, I, I should know what this means, right? And I, I still really never, you know, it's, it's just not an intuitive explanation for me. So I understand the math and the algebra and what you're saying. It does make sense. It's just... It's just something I've always struggled with, with case control studies is the pseudo frequencies. Okay. So now we've, we've admitted that the thing that makes you feel like you don't belong is uh, frequency. And I've said previously for me, it's whenever people show that figure of person time and you have to calculate the instance rate ratio and the risk ratio and the prevalence and I can't do it. Um, yeah, so there's there. I think there's a number of terminology. So so while we're on the subject of, and I think it was also comes from Oli Mitnin, um, the thing that I don't like about the case control study is the term control, because mm. you know control scientifically historically refers to the control group, the the essentially what we call the unexposed group, and so controls are not a control series; they are. You know, what Mietnin proposed the term, I believe, case referent instead of case control. And that obviously went nowhere. And we still call it a case control study. But they are not a, a control series. They are uh, at least not as as we sort of traditionally think of what a control is in a, in a scientific experiment. So that's interesting, because thinking back to what you said earlier, and then my clarification of that, which is that the controls are intended to stand in for the non-cases in the study base or the study population. In, 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 a, in a cumulative design, in a, right, in in a, a cu- survivor design. Right. So which is, which is really where all this terminology kind of came from when they were developing those, you know, original types of the traditional case control studies. But, but if that's the case, that these controls are supposed to stand in, what, what's the issue with the terminology? So in, in a, like in, in traditional, you know, scientific, you know, experimental design, you have your your intervention, and then you have your controls. Your, your your unexposed, what we call unexposed, but your you know your your sort of stand in for the reference reference rate of the outcome. So it's control would refer to as your unexposed population, 
not to your people who either don't have the outcome or a representative sample of the the study base. It's specifically the unexposed population or whatever you're using as a reference. Right. So I guess you're you're commenting on the focus on the non-cases, the those who have not experienced the outcome versus in a science traditional scientific framework it would be those who have not experienced the exposure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a it's a somewhat confusing term in the same way that I'm sure you've had this experience where you talk to somebody who's describing a cohort study to you, but cohort is made up of people who have a, a particular disease and those who don't. And so they refer to the cases and the non-cases, which is correct, but they're really, in this case, it's the exposure is having, you know, being a case and not having the diseases is being a, a unexposed. And so you get totally confused into thinking they're talking about a case control study when they are not. Yeah, that happens to me more often than than I would have expected. You know, when when somebody's describing a study design to me, I'm like, "What are you talking about now?" <laughs> Reverse a little bit. Like, can you explain exactly who we're who we're describing here? Because it is people use different terms to mean the same thing, and that gets very confusing sometimes, especially when you're not talking to epidemiologists. You're you're collaborating with with other folks. Yep. Uh, so I'm curious. Do you think then that we spend too much time, the right amount of time, or not enough time on case control studies in, in teaching? I think we spend not enough time teaching nested design case control studies. So case cohort and incidence density sampling. What what about you? I don't know. I'm I'm torn on this one. I think, you know, I think in, in intro to epi courses, it's 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 it is a still a critical design. And I think we we do need to spend a fair bit of time on it. So I think there, I think, you know, we probably could do a better job of it, but I think we probably spend the right amount of time on it. You know, as we we go on in intermediate and advanced epi courses, that's where I feel like we often spend a lot of time on case control studies more than probably most of our students are going to you implement case control studies. But as as you were answering, uh, I was thinking maybe the better spot for these uh, quote more advanced types of designs is an intermediate or advanced epi courses. But in in response to your question, I'll, I'll bounce this question to you, which is have you ever tried to do an a study involving incidence density sampling? I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say totally no. The answer is yes, but it was only once. And it, it was, I remember having to write extensive code to do it such that I, you know, I've I've never really gone back to it. And I have found that there's a couple of cases where I've done nested case control studies using using the sampling from the study base. Probably only done three case control studies in in my entire career. I mean, it's it's not something, and maybe that's part of why I think maybe we spend a little too much time on it in our advanced courses is just because I, you know, personally, I haven't done too many case control studies. I am currently or about to start a study that will involve incidence density sampling. And I've read the chapter. I've gone back to the Walkalder papers we talked about. I feel like I've I've really tried to brush up on the sort of theoretical underlying uh, principles of of doing this. And then I open my computer. I open Stata, and I think to myself, okay, but but now what? How <laughs> computer? Can you can you do this for me? And I think we don't spend enough time thinking through or helping students, uh, me, understand how you actually 
can get this done in the real world. So, you know, like you described, writing extensive code, I'll have to do that. I, I hope to be able to do that to, to get this design done. But it's it's not simple or it's not as intuitive for me as doing a standard cohort analysis, which I'm, I'm more used to doing. So I, I, I do wish I had, we spent a bit more time on that when I was in school. I completely agree with you. I mean, if we're, if we are saying that people should be doing more nested case control studies, we should be showing students that it's, you know, it's not as simple as just, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, so we discovered, we, uh, several of my students discovered for me that, you know, SAS has, has good procedures for for uh, sampling, for, you know that 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 will allow you to do sampling from the study base if you've got a well defined study base very easily. Oh, sampling interesting. Person time, I think, is uh, a little bit trickier, and I'm guessing it's not that that hard to think through. But I I've never you know I, I as I say I did it once. I had to write my own macro to do it because I couldn't find anyone who had put anything out there, and it. You know, I, it, it was incredibly difficult. Yeah, so I, I hope my process is not that difficult. Maybe Stata does have stuff embedded and I just, I'm not aware of it, but I, maybe I'll come back with an update for you. I've learned a really super fast and easy way to, to get this done. I hope so. You have a you have a, a nested cohort and you're trying to sample risk set? Exactly, yep, exactly. The cases are, are those who have developed incident cancer and the controls are, are are those who are alive and in the risk set at the same time. Well, I can I can go back and send you my code written in a far superior statistical software, but you won't understand it. I do actually read SAS. Okay. It's like I would say that I read French, but I won't speak it. Uh-huh. Um, I can I can uh-huh. perfectly understand French. I just won't speak it to you because I sound so terrible. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the same with SAS. I, I can read it, but but I wouldn't ever do anything with that. Oh, that's interesting because I can speak Stata, but I can't read it. <laughs> I'm glad you're very skilled, Matt. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally fluent. When I go to Stata land, I'm I'm totally fluent, but just can't read it. Mm, that's unfortunate. Maybe next year. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's all we have time for today uh, to chat oh, but about I did, this, I did, this I didn't get to ask my, my, my really important question. Oh, okay. Is, please. If, if, if a case control study was a member of the Brady Bunch family, which, which Brady Bunch member would it be? Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Because everyone's always talking about it, but nobody really likes it. And that's what Marsha's like. Nobody likes Marsha? I actually, Matt, I've never seen the Brady Bunch. <laughs> what? You I only never? know I only know that Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And I don't even know where that came from. But yes, no, I, I've never seen the Brady Bunch. So I, I don't know how to answer your question. I know there's like squares at the beginning, at the, you know, like that kind of thing. But I, I actually don't know that. Wow. That is very upsetting to me. I'm sorry. Maybe I could do that this weekend with all my I, free time. I think you're going to have to. Otherwise, I'm not sure we can continue this podcast. Okay. So that's my homework. That's um, your homework. I will watch an episode and decide which which character case control studies are. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. And with that, we can wrap up this episode. Wait, but which wait, you have to tell me which character. Actually, never mind. I'll do we'll do it after once I figure it out. Okay. All right. So for those of you who are not members for the of the Society for Epidemiologic Research, SER, I strongly recommend you consider becoming a member. Membership gets you a discounted fee for the annual meeting, which is coming up any day now, a couple weeks from now, in Chicago. 
It also gets you access to the SER library, which has some great learning materials, seminars, and activities. We also want to plug our sister podcast from the American Journal of Epidemiology, Casual Inference. If you like this podcast, we think you'll like that one as well. As a reminder, the views expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone, me and Matt, and do not represent the views of the Society for Epidemiologic Research. We appreciate you listening and learning with us and hope you look out for our episode next month.